Graphic Nature acknowledges the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which we record the show and pay our respects to the Elders past, present and future and extend that respect to other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening to this podcast. Due to the graphic nature of this program, listener discretion is advised. Fighting for what's right, for justice, that's what a hero does. It is my opinion, without any reasonable doubt and without any reservation, that comic books are an important contributing factor in many cases of juvenile delinquency. Comic books are pure evil. Satan himself condemns our children to the fiery depths of hell. How a particular tale can come to life in the mind of a reader is endlessly fascinating to me. We have found that all comic books have a very bad effect on teaching the youngest children the proper reading techniques. This balloon print pattern prevents that. I am not a villain. I am a victim. A victim of a society that tortured me. Vengeance will be mine. It'll be mine. It'll be mine. Welcome to Graphic Nature, a fortnightly podcast exploring the inspiring world of comic books, the culture that supports it, the creators, publishers, and people behind the printed pages and digital screens pushing the medium on into the future in Australia and the world. I'm Zoran Ilyevsky. On this episode, we're joined by comics creator and comics educator Sarah Howe. Sarah, welcome to the show. Hello. How you been? Good, good. Let's start off with uh, your first foray into comics. Ooh, first foray into comics. Um, I didn't really read comics as a kid. You know, my parents were English. You probably had Rupert Bear, which is barely a comic. So I didn't really discover comics until I was in university. Oh, wow. Mm. That late? Yep. Holy moly. What mm. kind of stuff were you reading? Uh, I had friends who were reading Sandman and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. The the one that got me hooked was The Max. Ah, yes. Yeah. Sam Keith. Mm-hmm. It was great. Uh, was it uh, comic versus comic before cartoon or? Um, I can't remember. It was about the same time, I mm-hmm. think. Um, it might, it might have been that I watched the, the animation and then and then got into the comic, yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was pretty remarkable anima- uh, cartoon. I, I was just... It was MTV released mm. it, and it would have been late nineties, mid nineties. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah, yeah, mid to mid to yep. late nineties. Uh, that was un, unreal. Yes. So that that's what got me hooked. What um, was it about that in particular that got you hooked? Well, like yeah, it's it's the typical female reader thing. Of there's actually female characters that are interesting. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, so that's what got me hooked, I guess. And it was not usual, you know, comic book fair. There's weird and wonderful things going on in there. Yeah, the very, art's yeah, unusual. Very much so. Yeah. The dialogue's good, you know. So, so it was, it was, all of that stuff going on. So I had friends who wanted to write comics, and I was, you know, studying art at the time. I wasn't studying drawing. You couldn't major in drawing at my art school. So I, um, to frame it, I lived in Tasmania. I was studying in uh, a school of art in Hobart. Mm-hmm. Um, I was studying sculpture and photography. Um, that's quite was, a that's quite a jump. Well, yeah, like I said, I couldn't study drawing as as the main as a major, so yeah, right. I was just like, you, you could. Minor Is that typical it. of of arts degrees? Or you could arts? do painting. I was doing painting, but I didn't enjoy it. I think it's just one of those things of you know you gravitate to the lecturers that you actually yeah, right. connect with, and I did enjoy sculpture, so I majored in in sculpture. Did you produce any really cool sculptures? Oh, yeah, an undergrad level cool, I guess. <laughs> 
after that, I went, oh, I know how to make a thing kind of, but I really want to know how to make a thing. So I studied jewellery. And, and there's a couple of uh, other ex-sculptors around who are cartoonists as well. Yeah, right. That's Sarah, fascinating. Sarah Firth is an ex-installation artist. Is she really? Mm. That's really fascinating. Huh. So I think, yeah, there's there's a different sensibility maybe that us people who are ex-sculpture yeah, people. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's get into comics. Yeah. Well, I'm looking into that, draw, that whole drawing thing. Oh, I, th- I find it strange that an arts degree, is, uh, I suppose, mm. Wouldn't allow for a, a drawing class. What was it? Would they would assume well, there, was, there was drawing, but you couldn't do it oh, as your ah, major. Ah, right, right. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Now I understand. Yep, yep, so yep. I was like, well, why would you study it if you can't do it as your major? So my drawing changed quite a lot during that time. It did get it did get good, mm-hmm. but it well, I wasn't being trained in drawing. I was yeah, just being right. self taught during that time. Yeah, right. Um, looking at comics mostly. And so, how did you move from from there to? I'm gonna start doing my own. Yeah, like I said, I had friends who wanted to do stuff, so they were like, hey, let's collaborate. And, and I was trying to sort of, you know, do these collaborations with, with my friends. And and I guess the main leap was when uh, I was – I'd started volunteering for the Hobart Fringe Festival and I'd been um, running their night market. They sort of t- came to me and said, hey, there's an Australia Council for the Arts grant in, we've been invited to apply for and it has to be a, like a youth-themed thing and you're a young person – write the application please <laughs> um so i and they were like you know make it about hip-hop or something and i was like i know nothing about hip-hop but i know because s- young people listen to hip-hop that's right. yeah, yeah. and and i was like i know something about comics so i made it a, a, a weekend forum um and workshops around around creating comics and bringing together all the people I could find in Tassie that were doing comics, which is, you know, a reasonably, you know, substantial amount. There's a lot of people hiding in the woodwork in Tassie. There really is. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yes, so you think of the, the people who've come out of Tassie, there's, there's quite a lot. How did you go about <laughs> the grant application? Like, was it was it just, I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm just going to write it up and, you know, was there any... I probably got some uh, guidance from the from the French Festival yeah, right. folk, but, um, but mostly... My memory is, you know, it's mostly me who wrote it. And, uh, yeah, so I remember one of the Arts Tasmania staff congratulating me on getting an Australia Council for the Arts grant. So I was like, oh, okay, I just wrote a thing. And they were like, yeah, you know, no, it's hard to get a grant out of those people. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. I was like, oh, okay. So, um, yeah, so that then got me hooked on arts administration. <laughs> that sounds so awesome. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and when did you when did you start working on your own stuff like proper? So oh, the, the way I I got involved with the Hobart Fringe Festival was my mates and I wanted to do we had been trying to make a little like anthology mm-hmm. and um and we had applied to the um Arts Tasmania to say we want to do an online magazine anthology thing um and this is I guess this is. 97 or something, yep. 98. And uh, and they're like, a, a, a what? They're, and we were like, we're going to do this thing on the internet. It's going to be comics. And they were like, um, we've just made this thing called Scream Tasmania. Maybe you should talk to them. And like that was for film. They were like, they just didn't know what to do with us. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so we made the application and, and we got Warren Ellis to write our letter of support because, you know, 
when you don't know anybody in the comics world, you just ask for Warren Ellis to write your letter of support. Um, this is Warren Ellis, the, the comics writer, yeah, or yeah. Warren Ellis, the musician? The Warren Ellis, the comics writer, <laughs> right. English comics writer. So, um, yeah, the, the, he wrote a very nice letter for us. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And so that was just what, like a, a cold letter or an email to Warren Ellis, and he was like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. Yeah. So he just wrote about the power of comics and why it's a worthwhile art form and – so we had that's that. pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, my 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 mate uh, Greg, who who was the the writer, he was pretty good at that, that kind of stuff. Just you know, cold asking people to do stuff. Yeah, he got he got like a really good interview with uh, did lengthy interview with uh, George R R Martin. Holy early shit! Early on as well. Yeah. Well, that's when you could have got him. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah, impossible yeah. now. Yeah. Well, it would be anyway. Not that yeah, I know yeah, yeah, yeah. about it. So yeah, so uh, we were we were trying different things mm-hmm. and uh, and that you know we didn't get that grant and but we did because we'd had that effort as a group. Um, we then put on an exhibition which was in the Hobart Fringe Festival. Oh, cool! Yeah, so yeah, well, and then on to bigger and better things. Oh, uh, <laughs> um, not immediately, I guess. <laughs> there was a lot of mucking about. Yeah, so working for a Fringe Festival, doing my own jewelry design business stuff. Yeah, then kind of increasingly working in community arts, yeah. having spun off from Hobart Fringe Festival. There was another comic artist, Lee Rigotzi, um, that I, you know, we became friends and we started talking about, uh, again, applying for a grant applicant grant for um, to put on an like, exhibition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the local contemporary arts organisation suggested we, we apply for like a curatorial grant. Yeah. And so we p- proposed this um, like survey exhibition of Australian comics and uh, and we got that. And we then got like all kinds of money for that. That was like the awesome. one of the best funded projects I've ever done. Yeah, right. Um, and we got like national funding for like touring the exhibition and stuff. Wow. And running workshops in like eight different locations across Australia. So then, yeah, Lee and myself and other artists like Mandy Ord and, and Michael Hawkins got to go around different places around Australia and, and teach people about comics. That's awesome. Mm. And how was that? Like was it uh – you each would do a particular type of book or were you guys doing it together? Was it a panel? How did that all work? So, uh, so the exhibition? Mm-hmm. Well, it was a survey exhibition. We just uh, simply – it wasn't a collaborative process. Oh, okay. We just kind of selected people's works and, and presented them. We did some sort of interesting sort of more sculptural things like we got um, – we did printed uh, an anthology, which mm-hmm. was done in sort of uh, tabloid-sized newspaper. Yep. And we just got big stacks of that. Uh, again, we had money to print the cat. This this was the catalogue, mm-hmm. so that was kind of a mountain of those sitting in the in the in the space as as an installation piece. And there was, yeah, there was different sort of ways that we displayed the comics. We kind of each each installation they projected up one of the Tim Danko's artworks and mm-hmm. and reproduced it by with black sticky dots which the volunteers apparently always loved in each location, having <laughs> yeah. to trace this whole image of trees um, with black sticky dots. Jeez, that would have taken forever. Yeah, but it's quite <laughs> sort of meditative. I guess. <laughs> yeah, 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 fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. And and how long would you were you typically doing that kind of stuff before you started actually going, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to now create my own. Well, I was creating my own stuff in collaboration oh, okay. with my friend for that fringe exhibition. Yeah. Um, and then I made a small piece for that 
touring exhibition, but the sort of the the professional curators were advising us don't put your own work in yeah, the sur- dodgy. Sur- <laughs> survey exhibition. Looks a little bit, you know, yeah. <laughs> untoward. Yeah, yeah. Um, so no, we so I didn't have any work in that exhibition, and yeah, so little bits and pieces, and then I guess you know the the. Um, doing community arts stuff took over for a while and uh, I would just do you know, a little bit of drawing on the side but then I started doing comics journaling just doing a little diary comics yep and I made some little zines collecting those mm-hmm. over the years this is while obviously having a job and and you know, yeah, regular so life things <laughs> yes. yeah, 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 like, yeah yeah well that's a, it's a you know it's a long time doing journalings and <laughs> yeah so there's, there's been a mix of it I haven't been like you know I'm not someone who pumps out lots and lots of comics. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm slow at making them and uh, and also I just have a tendency to get absorbed in interesting other things. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough, um, as do most people. Yeah, uh, and life. Yeah, well, that, that's yeah. a big part of it. Yeah. That's a big part of it. Yeah, so I made these these little journals and, and the little zines and I started going to the National National Writers Festival in mm-hmm. Newcastle, which was one of the I, – I don't know how the state of things are now, but it was always the one of the more comics-friendly writers' festival. And so I knew other people. Lee, my, my mate Lee Rigotti had gone on previous year and said it was good. So I went up there and met heaps of you know amazing comic artists mm-hmm. and our lifelong friends. And one of them I married. Um, nice. <laughs> yes. So um, so yeah. So then starting to sell my zines at, at the zine fair at that festival. And then eventually I moved to Melbourne and um, and then I signed up for being one of the directors of that festival in Newcastle. Nice. Um, yeah. So I didn't know that either. Yeah. So running running comic events and, well, running a whole spectrum of writing-related yep. events. Um, but, uh, you know, having a smattering of comic stuff in there as well. <laughs> What's the next progression? I just don't remember now. Yeah, and I guess yeah, that at the end, towards the end of that, uh, I finished that in two thousand and ten, and then two thousand eleven, um, starting to burn out. Yeah, fair enough. Because <laughs> uh, I was it's a lot of events up until I was doing, this point. I was doing that festival, running that festival, uh, but also um, also I was working at a youth art studio that specialised in working. I was like working as a youth mentor mm-hmm. with young people who were, had an experience of hardship. So you know. Doing a lot of full-on stuff. Yeah, um, that would that would that would uh, tax a lot. Yeah, emotionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. mentally. Uh, and that point, the NGV, one of the curators there, she, someone I knew from Tasmania, and she had seen the Darkwoods, and she had been invited to curate a show at the NGV. And Darkwoods was so the Darkwoods was the exhibition that I ran, oh, okay. the, the touring exhibition with Lee Rigotti. And then, yeah, so then Beckett came to us, came to me and, and said, I'm organising this thing at the NGV and Mike Hawkins is involved and Simon Hanselman and, and she said, you know, it's all boys that I've found so far, you know, can you come along and be a not boy? <laughs> um, and, uh, and and myself and, and Rebecca Clements joined that group. And so the idea was we had like, it's one of the shops in the atrium at Fed Square yep. and uh, the one that's sort of at the front corner. And they wanted to have us set up our studio spaces in there. So it's basically you could walk – the public could walk through our studio spaces while we were working. Yeah, so like uh, – like uh, So it was called Inherent Vice was the exhibition. Ah, uh, yes, yes. 
yeah, so that that was uh, that would have been pretty strange from from a creative's perspective, being you know working people just random people just walking through. It was, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and some people couldn't hack it, and and yeah, Ben Hutchings did well with it, and I I quite liked it. Don't don't name any names. Don't don't tell us who couldn't do it. Oh no, like I just you know I don't know that they couldn't do it. Yeah, it was right. Just you know that. It suits. I just know from our experience with Squishface, yeah, which we'll talk about in a minute, that some people, some artists, do thrive in a more sort of open, noisy mm-hmm. um, environment, and some artists really need to be shut away. Yeah. So, just depends. I suppose it's just it's like anything, really, isn't it? Yeah. So, so yeah, so I did that, and that was kind of when my practice kind of got some more focus again. Was it one specific project that you worked on while you were there? Uh, I had a story that I was working on for Bernard Calio. Um, mm-hmm. It was a short story I um, had promised him and I was struggling with it. And the story was, and I probably told you this story before. Let's hear it again. Yeah. Uh, it, the short story was it was going to be Tony Abbott gets abducted by Harold Holt, who's somehow still alive. Uh, Tony <laughs> goes for a swim and gets abducted by, by um, Harold um, so that that was the idea of the story, but I was like, it's, it's, it was a, it was a good gag, but I didn't really have anywhere for it to go. Like, yeah. So I can just imagine Bernard uh, <laughs> Bernard saying, "That's great." Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> um, so so I had this this you know cracker of an idea, but it d- didn't have enough substance. Mm-hmm. And so then I started researching, and then I started getting into these other historical figures of the time. And that was Enid Lyons and, and Joseph Lyons, who were Tasmanian politicians. Mm-hmm. And then I started researching them crazily during that uh, residency at NGV. And then I was like, oh, um, I've gone from having like a little tiny silly short story to having like probably a graphic novel yeah. beginnings here. And and so that that has been the the ongoing side project of my life <laughs> since then. <laughs> and that's that's been some years now. Uh, How far have you gotten into it? Uh I well I had I had a fellowship at the at the Museum of Democracy and I did a residency. The Museum of Democracy. Yeah, yeah, it's the old Parliament House in right, Canberra. Right. There's two dem- museums of democracy. There's the um there's Ballarat Eureka Stockade as well. Hmm. Yeah. Democracy. The Museum of Democracy. I think that's fun. Sorry. I just think the title is funny yeah. for a museum. So I had, I had a resident uh, fellowship with them. Yep. And um to do the research and then this residency in the US with a non-fiction comic artist Josh Newfeld, which was great. And then I came back home and I found out I was pregnant. So Yay. <laughs> yay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so that you know, I was still chipping away at it, but it, it slowed the whole process down somewhat. Is it uh is it more, is it one of those projects where you're still trying to nut out as you're going along or have you like thumbnailed or have you like this is how I'm gonna do it but um, you know, or have you actually started putting pencil to paper? So no, I had not <laughs> pencil to paper. Thumbnail, kind of like. Uh, <laughs> so I because there's such you know I got had the fellowship and I went there and I was like in Canberra and the archives and I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? There's like so many prime ministers in my story that like, and each one has an enormous archive of yeah, material. Right. So yeah, it's just sort of you could just research forever. Um, 
Sounds like you've been researching for a long no, time. No, once I was pregnant, I couldn't, couldn't <laughs> yeah, do yeah. that much more. Bre- yeah, yeah. So that kind of actually helped stop the research hole. Yeah. And then I got to the point last year where I've created the structure for mm-hmm. the narrative. Yeah. And, and I thumbnailed in this way that I do where I kind of draw the key scenes almost in little sort of stick figures. Yep. They're very small, just like little grumpy Enid getting grumpy at, at Bob Menzies, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. just a little doing it in sort of inch by inch square yeah, size right. of little scenes, um, like little people on a stage kind of thing, um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I sort of plotted it all out in these scenes and kind of figured out where the holes are. And then around that time, I started worrying about the environment and the climate uh, emergency. And that kind of started eating up my time. And right. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, I've got to push forward now. Yeah, you do. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot, of pe- I've, a lot of people are waiting for this book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, it's it's interesting, sort of over time, like the the I don't know, a lot of the initial impetus, I you know, was around kind of the the figure of Enid, um, and I was sort of fascinated by her, mm-hmm. and and I'd be, I'm interested to see how my relationship to her has probably changed over time. Yeah, like yeah, so cause she she was a widow, so. You know, should I tell the whole, you know, the, the basic story? Well, of just give line? us a, yeah, just give us the, uh, the, the what is it, the log line? Yeah. That's what they call it in, <laughs> in the film industry. Yeah. So, so Ian Alliance is the um, first federal female MP. Oh, wow. Mm. So, Tasmanian. Um, she was married to Joseph Lyons, who was the Prime Minister during the Great Depression. Ah. Uh, he was the longest serving Prime Minister up to that point at seven years. Then he dies in office. Um, Shit. Yeah. So we had a, quite a few prime ministers who've died in office. <laughs> it's a pity there's, there's been a few of the, you know, in recent memory that would have been nice if they had died while they were in office. Oh, then they get like, you know. Oh, uh, martyrized, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah I don't know. Well, the, well, well Harold didn't. It depends on how you go. Everyone just remembers what how Harold died. They don't remember what he did. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, Joseph, Joseph dies on the cusp of Second World War and Enid's a widow. But she, she, and she was quite high profile. She wasn't a shrinking violet. Yeah, yeah. Like she was up there on the stands with him, you know, arguing the case for for what they need to do and that kind of thing. She was, yeah, very much supported by him to be a public speaker in her own right. Mm-hmm. And so the book's about about her rise. Yeah. So I didn't want to do a biography. I think that's just kind of it's, it's like in film, yeah. com- biography and comics is quite tricky to do well yeah i think books serve biography much better mm-hmm. um uh, prose books but with enid yeah i wanted to focus on that time when she's she loses her husband and then what her, her that's then her impetus to to think about joining the political sphere on her own terms and then she she does she runs for election and becomes the first female federal candidate yeah, yeah right successful newly elected female to the federal level there yeah. had been state once before but yeah, yeah. she's the first one to federal oh, right. house of reps and in the same year there's the first female senator as well i know we've spoken about you working on this book is it my is it my imagination or did i do i remember you saying that it was going to be about 300 pages 
<laughs> I hope it's not, but it's possible. <laughs> well, then you've got your work cut out for you. Yeah, yeah, you? yeah, for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, yeah, so so um, yeah, I don't want it to to blow out too much. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so it's, I'm just focusing on yeah the her joining Parliament. A lot of it's about around the tension that she has with Robert Menzies. Robert yep. Menzies, you know, she she greatly admires him, but at the same time, they're 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 just not very well matched. They're very different people. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, yeah. You're listening to Graphic Nature. We'll return right after this short message. Hey, thanks for listening. Hope you're enjoying the show. Uh, we are all over social media. Well, not all over, but we've got a few. We've got Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please jump on Facebook and like us if you're enjoying the show, as well as following us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find all the details on the website, graphicnature.media. Thanks very much. This has been a Graphic Nature public service announcement. And so where did the, uh, where did the comics educator part, where, did that, where does that fit in? I guess when I started doing those workshops way back when Mm -hmm. i started organizing those workshops um, for the youth forum yeah and that's when i thought that was kind of an interesting thing to do and then also running the workshops as part of the darkwoods touring exhibition and started to work with other artists who'd done more teaching before and started to get the hang of it people like mandy ord and then yeah just was doing regular freelance kind of comic workshops mm-hmm. and then when I moved to Melbourne I started running after school workshops at places like Box Hill Community Arts Centre. What's the focus on, on for, for a lot of those kind of courses because is you know are you talking strictly visual narrative or are you are you breaking everything like completely down because it's what is it four, 14 days? So the how many the the, the course that yeah I yeah how many sessions are there? Uh, so the one that I mean, a lot of the teaching I do is for kids mm-hmm. because it's comics. Hey, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. for kids, not uh, the te- the classes I teach for the Centre for Adult Education. I used to teach a ca- class for graphic novels, mm-hmm. uh, and that was quite surprisingly. I didn't actually get that many artists would come to that. It's mostly would be mostly writers, lawyers, filmmakers yeah, right. who wanted to learn about how to make comics. In that case, I'm focusing on the the common problems that people common mistakes that people make yep. uh, and about page flow and architecture um, and clarity. So you know, how to make your word balloons in the right kind of order and um, yeah, different kinds of, you know, there's what Scott McLeod talks about, the different types of transitions between panels mm-hmm. and, and that kind of stuff. So that's what I focus on in the graphic novels course, which yep. unfortunately isn't running anymore. But in the cartooning course that I run, I sort of look, we look at body language and we look at, we do some perspective mm-hmm. um, and and we do talk about clarity as well in that in that course, um, clarity of, of your page design yeah. and, and composition and that kind of thing. Yeah, so that's the sort of how I break it down. I don't, don't kind of emphasise like script writing or anything like that um, because some people come from it visual and some people come from it from storytelling yeah, right. um yes yeah, so so yeah i do get in the graphic novel one i did get people to write 
do some writing as a sort of rough script, but not in. I don't teach them the kind of standard script writing that you would do for a comic. Yeah, because okay, I okay. I don't practice that myself. I because I'm coming from a more visual practice, mm-hmm. so I yeah the thumbnailing's more useful to me. Yeah, but but some scripting can also be useful, particularly when you're writing a long graphic novel that has a lot of footnotes and yeah. historical detail. Um, yeah. So, but anyway, I love it. I love the teaching. It's it reminds me of things I need to do in my own practice yeah. and uh, it reminds me, yeah, it, just, it constantly reinvigorates my love of the practice. Yeah. So with, with that, let's say you're trying to create a lesson plan or, or, or a structure for a particular session. Where do you draw that from? Is it, are you, are you literally going, this is how I would do this. And so that's how I would, and that's how I'm going to kind of impart that information. Or is it, are you looking at different types of text, different types of, of writers and artists or different creators from wherever mm. uh, around the globe and you're then kind of then you're adapting that into a, a, a class years ago i went to uh, a reading matters conference mm-hmm. which is uh, a conference for librarians and yep. teachers and um for specifically around ya books and i was fascinated at that talk there was so there was a variety of speakers and and at one point some someone put up their hand and said, I don't like any of the computer story stuff or, the, you know, the computer narratives, you know, gaming yep. or the comics or any of that because it takes away the, the empathy and that only, only prose can provide empathy for the reader. And I was like, whoa. Hogwash. But, like, she thoroughly believed this. Yeah, she was yeah. a deep-seated feeling in her. And I was like, how could she da abba uh the, like for me like just in my brain I was mm. like I get so much so much powerful empathy with characters in drawn drawn characters so I was like oh something's going on here and then in the break for that because I'd been a speaker during the during the conference yep. in the break I was talking to people and there was there were all these people coming to me saying no I'm supposed to like graphic novels but I try and read them and I just can't can't read them no i've heard I've, yeah i've had this i've had similar conversation with people. Mm. and and they they struggle with them or they they have this they admit that there's like a psychological barrier because their brother loved comics and it was they didn't like their brother's <laughs> comics or something <laughs> yeah you there's know. that too so it's, it's like <laughs> oh there's all these barriers to people reading comics and and there's like brain stuff going on as well like some people you know some people can't read them because of some you know, they're, they're text orientated rather yeah. than visual mm-hmm. people. Yeah. So in terms of my lesson plan stuff, a lot of my stuff is like increasingly, and it always has been a bit to some degree, like around that, that brain stuff. So I do actually talk a lot about aphantasia, mm-hmm. which I know you and I've talked about before at the beginning of my session. And, and, and recently at one of my classes, someone piped up and said, I would identify as having aphantasia. Yeah, right. And and so yeah, I'm like we should probably describe what aphantasia. Yeah, aphantasia is. is, is uh, I think I have in in a previous episode, but uh, aphantasia is basically the inability to imagine with your mind's eye or to to think to conjure images in your mind. Is how I understand it. Yes. So yeah. often people who are lawyers or programmers have have this lack of visual image, mm-hmm. and they have a text or concept based that's probably why websites were so shit for so long (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so basically a person will have a a detailed description 
mm. of a beach yeah. rather than a visual of the beach. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I and in, in the beginning of my class, I read out a bunch of questions that kind of gives you a sense of how accurate your visual capacity is in your mind's eye. So some people, there's like a bunch of questions around landscape and a bunch of questions around people. And yeah, you're usually like stronger on one or the other. Yeah. And, you know, and someone who with that fantasia wouldn't be stronger, particularly strong on either. But doesn't mean you can't draw. Yeah, there's there's there have been documented artists, yeah, well yeah. well renowned artists who are aphantasic. Mm. So so it's yeah it's this interesting area of, and so I started off kind of talking about that and how when we're drawing we're developing our our mind's eye mm-hmm. and our ability to store visual information and and how we need to go sort of backwards and forwards between observational drawing and symbol drawing, which is comics you know cartooning yeah and cartooning is is getting closer to language as scott mcleod describes in that it's it's a reduction of an image down to a basic you know to a simple mm. yes yeah, so i talk a lot about that kind of stuff and um, i'm quite influenced by linda barry in her in, in her books around teaching i'd love to write, run my classes like hers which are well, like wild crazy sort of residencies with scientists and and She's making kind of people who don't draw draw, and and you know just making them watch like old eighties movies while drawing spirals. It's it all sounds quite cult like, and yeah, I don't yeah. think I'd actually get away with. <laughs> no, probably not. With that, um, you know, you come along to your cartoon, drawing for cartooning class, and you you get um, yeah sort of the cult treatment. I don't think it'd go down well, but it'd be mind blowing. I'm sure. No, but I reckon. I, but I'm, my mind's I, already I do, blown just thinking about it. I just, I do, I do try and um, just yeah, do actually teach people the basics. But yeah, the Linda Barry stuff, because her stuff is around kind of brain stuff as well. Yeah. Um, her books are, do influence me to a small degree. Yeah, yeah, right. If I even if I can't push it all the way. Has there ever been a point where you've gotten not really kind of blocked as to? you know, a problem or foreseeing a problem that you can then say to somebody, hey, if you come across this, this is kind of how we deal with it. Is it a, if that some, something like that occurs, let's say in a session, would you work it out on the spot or do you kind of plan around pitfalls of the way uh, you know, someone might create a comic? Um, yeah, I do plan it around the pitfalls. So I do kind of tackle common Okay, yeah. Yeah, so things like the 180 degree rule, crossing the line rule, which is a filmic thing. But some comic artists, some comic creators will argue that it's not appropriate to do it in comics and others say it does help to do it in comics. Again, describing a visual thing. The idea is that when you're filming uh, or uh, a conversation between two people and you change the angle of the shot, then you you keep the people like... You don't go sequence, beyond this yeah. beyond this invisible yeah. line. That's so created. if you're if you're if you're filming someone from the from someone's right hand shoulder, when you flip it, you're then filming the other person from the other person's left hand shoulder. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you wouldn't go across to the other person's right hand yeah, shoulder because that would be confusing. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, usually I describe it as in simple terms for comics as if one person is on one side of the panel and the other, you, know, you keep that relationship yeah, you don't yeah. you know even if you kind of you know do a close-in shot or a pull out or whatever you know you try and keep those 
two people on the same side mm -hmm. of the, their respective sides of the panel. So we talk about that kind of stuff. Where is it appropriate? When isn't it appropriate? When does it become confusing? When do you want to use that confusing this you know, confusion yep. for a good effect? That kind of thing. And we look some we look at some Watchmen, you know, because of course Alan Moore does all kinds of, of weird course. and amazing things with this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, like there's yeah one where he crosses the line, but it's like because there's this enormous power shift in the conversation. Yeah. It's like he does it in such a way that it's not confusing, and it's like. It'd be interesting to find out how much of that was Dave Gibbons and how much of that was actually Alan Moore. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. But, yeah. The scripts are hard to get hold of, I hear. Yeah. Well, I think they've I think they've uh, released... I could have sworn it. There are times where nowadays they've kind of released these uh, special editions. That's yeah, true. Oh. But I listen to a podcast, which <laughs> I don't think they've got very far now, but they're in English, two English blokes that uh, go page page through Watchmen and just spend like half an hour oh, analyzing God. it's fascinating is it really yeah it's good it's good but yeah <laughs> exhausting I think for yeah. them because they've they've stopped now and they haven't got all the way through the book. <laughs> but uh, how far did they get I think they got like uh I think a reasonable like maybe a third of the way through the book or something but yeah yeah right I think yeah I've only listened to a couple episodes, but yeah, what they, they do pull apart is very interesting. One of them's a letterer. So he really analyzes Dave Gibbons' lettering mm -hmm. and and the, the way the word balloons are done. Is, yeah, if you want to really think about how lettering is done, it's a good that is, podcast. That does sound to. very interesting, actually, now that you mentioned that. Yeah. Whereas if it's just a... Just a dissection of the Watchmen. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they, they look at it. They the There's one particular one I like to listen to, but they look at it in terms of the, the colour, the use of colour mm -hmm. and the emotional impact of the colour yep. um, and and the lettering. Yeah, because like I said, one of them's a letterer, so he's he's very kind of informed about how what, I, yeah. what's being done there. I wouldn't even really notice that much. But yeah, I, I've wanted to talk to a letterer for a while now mm. about that kind of stuff because yeah. for me that's fascinating, the way that, you know, it, there's this weird uh, onomatopoeia uh, with with the way that certain fonts are used, the colours that they use when they are describing something, mm. you know, when there's a crack of lightning and the way that they, they stylize, sometimes they stylize the panel mm. of the comic to simulate, you know, the cracking of lightning. And it's just, it's a really interesting thing, particularly from, let's say, a neurological point of view for mm. me um, that I would love to kind of explore. And I, and, and I think a letterer is probably the best person to speak to with that because particularly, you know, from the 80s and the no early 90s, mm. the 80s, where they were doing a lot of that. Yeah. Whereas you don't see that kind of stuff much anymore. It's here and there, but, but this, not as prevalent, guy, particularly you know, in commercial, in commercial uh, American commercially uh, produced American comics. Hmm. Well, the, the the use of digital fonts now is like this. This letterer mm -hmm. talking on this podcast, he does describe how he would replicate a similar effect yeah. to these hand drawn things, but he's using digital, mm. so he would manipulate the the letters in Photoshop or whatever, and then yeah, to, right. to stretch them and and such. Squirm around. Mm -hmm. mm. What do you think about why, why people are actually enamored? Well, those that are enamored with comics, why? You know, have you have you thought about it at all and gone why? Why do people? Why do people love comics so much? What is it about them? <laughs> I can't speak for all. <laughs> well, in your opinion, as a comics educator. Yeah, as a comics educator, 
Yeah, there's a lot of motivations why people come to comics and and some people are more text orientated and some people are more visual. I mean, even between myself and David, David's more text orientated than I am. Mm. Um, I would quite happily make silent comics, you know, if I didn't have a very wordy char- character who's an orator from the 1930s. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's your own fault. Yeah, I know, I know. It was like, where did I? Where did this come from? I just made little surreal, silent comics and diary comics before. So yeah, so I I remember reading another uh, someone I met once, but he's a um, an academic who specialises in in education, mm-hmm. in pedagogy and stuff. Um, and but he's a comic artist as well, so he's interested in how you know, um, comics can be used in education. And in, I saw, like, I think I saw a, a drawing he'd done where he was describing ha- when he was a kid, he really just wanted to be outside playing sport all the time and doing physical things. And so being sat down in a classroom was very difficult for him because he wanted to move all the time. Yeah. And he said his, he felt like his way around that was to draw, to be able to draw physical bodies on the page. Yeah, right. And that would calm his body and he could then focus on being in the room. And I think, for me at least, I identify with that. Yeah, that I think there's being able to draw, yeah, people and physicality and stuff is mm-hmm. a way of kind of grounding me in a space. And yeah, so I'm interested in reading comics where where there's physical emotion and bodies moving and stuff like that. Yeah, right. Yeah, so like superhero comics where the that's it's all too easy for them like superman never really appealed to me but like daredevil appealed more because he's more of an acrobat and more physical Mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah absolutely so um yeah so that's that's kind of where i think i come from in terms of my interest in comics and i think yeah and and you you hear I've, i've know people who have who said they you know dyslexic and they found comics as a as a way to to bridge through yeah yeah, to to make their way into as a into into story into reading and such that's a very common story i read a a a bulletin page in in i think it was a i think it was a marvel comic in the early 90s and that was the first time that i i looked at comics a different way after reading that letters page it was a family i mean it could have been for all i know it could have been made up but but i've heard actual like you know stories based in reality from people firsthand since then mm. and so which just leads me to believe that it was you know it was most likely real uh, a family had written in and had spoken about how their daughter couldn't read she was severely dyslexic mm. and through comics through the introduction of comics in uh, and her reading comics uh, she was able to kind of start reading books uh, a lot more with a lot more ease and effectively got around her dyslexia for the most part mm. because of the visual aspect of comics. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so like, yeah, so different people come to it with different, yeah, physicalities and, and brain stuff going on. I think that's what just makes it click for you. Mm. Like the, there's don't have a background in teaching people with autism or anything, but I do notice that there are a lot of people who are attracted to, to reading comics that and creators who are who you know identify as having having Asperger's or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, so again, there's there's something going on for them as well. What do you actually prefer doing, drawing or writing? <laughs> drawing, as I as I said, I, I quite happily make silent comics, but um, yeah, so I 
I, I, I long, long ago, I did some theatre workshops in the hope of improving my character acting <laughs> on the page. It's a good idea. And in that theatre workshop stuff, they said you start off with the body language, and once you start to introduce like human concepts of like politics or culture or anything like that, then you need language. But before then, you can get away with just body language mm-hmm. for all the basic human emotional stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I guess I've, I've always approached it like that. Mm. That is a very interesting way of looking at things. Well, there you go. I'm going to file that somewhere in my brain. The journaling, would you revisit that? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, I mean, I still journal but not sort of specifically diary comics every day or, mm-hmm. you know, not even diary comics that regularly. But I, I still write and draw stuff in a journal yeah it is it is a useful habit but at the same time i guess it's like having a social media presence or a blogging or whatever you have to you're always looking for the story mm-hmm. every day you're like what's the story going to be today that i'm going to write about tonight and it's, it's an amazing practice for honing your, your storytelling skills absolutely and i know chris downs kind of he did it for like nearly a year and Shit. yeah and it like and posting it every day and he would do these immaculate full pages yeah because it's chris downs um if anybody doesn't know chris downs's work you should go check out his work he's a he's a cartoonist for the mercury newspaper yeah so it's just it's an amazing practice to have but it you know yeah (laughs) maybe maybe every couple of days then Maybe, maybe it's one of those Inktober type things. You yeah. do it for a month, maybe, and Which, see how you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's been pretty interesting over the years to see uh, all the different artists on that I'm connected with on social media to see all their all their works and and um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's it sounds it looks like a lot of work. Mm. And it's like, how do they find the time to do it? I guess it depends on how well you plan. Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe if you pencil things beforehand before you are you allowed to do that. Is I that don't know. <laughs> are there rule like <laughs> is there anywhere you can go and check out rules? Like is oh, it there a, must be there must be rules. Some, yeah, m- maybe on Reddit or something like that. Yeah, it's yeah. got to be because yeah. a lot of the things I go, wow, that's that's pretty awesome. You that how long did that take you to do? Because mm. you know you're supposed to do one of them a day mm. for thirty days. Maybe, maybe you're not looking on the other set. You know, six days of the week when <laughs> they've done just like very basic things. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe. Although it's it's that whole thing of. Uh, particularly with social media these days is, uh, I mean, writers or, or even artists who spend so much time mm. invest or so much, they invest so much on a lot of those mediums. I just go, no wonder you're not, how are you getting your work done? Mm. Like, you're well, it's, it is, a, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing for, for, for creatives. Like um, comedians always complain about the, how they're wasting time on social media, trying to be funny on social media when they should be saving that for, for, you know, material, yeah. material yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's a difficult balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sarah, thank you very much for coming in. Yes, thank you. We'll look at maybe getting on once you've uh, done that book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the end of this episode of Graphic Nature. Thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. Please rate and review the show on whatever podcast service you use. It'll be greatly appreciated. If you have any thoughts regarding the show, feel free to send an email to feedback at graphicnature.media. You can catch me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. For more information about the show, visit Graphic Nature on the web by typing into your handy web browser or search engine, graphicnature.media. Thanks very much. Credits! Written, produced, edited, and presented by Zoran Ilyevsky. 
Audio consultation and additional production. Archie Cuthbertson, Dan Moore. Credits announcer, Simon Winkler. Theme character voices, Zoran Ilyevsky. Audio excerpts of Senate Subcommittee on Juvenile Delinquency, Wortham versus Gaines on Decency Standards, used courtesy of New York City Municipal Archives. You've been listening to Graphic Nature, the podcast. <laughs>